So this morning, we are going to continue our series in the book of James. Uh, we've been preaching this series called God's Design for Faith. And so uh, today's message comes from James chapter 3. So it's taken us five weeks to get through two chapters of James. So it could very well take us a little bit longer than 10 weeks to get through this entire thing because we're on week six right now, just now beginning uh, chapter three. So we're going to be in the first 12 verses of chapter James chapter three. And the title of our thoughts today is The Blueprint Plan for Your Tongue. Uh-oh. We're going to have some issues today. Because we're talking about one of the smallest yet most powerful things in the human body, and that is the tongue. And so we are certain to step on toes today. We are certain to challenge folks today. Um, and so it's going to be a very, very powerful time, but also I think a fun and good time. You're going to learn some things today that hopefully um, can help in our walk with Christ. Because after all, our journey of, with Christ is all unique and different to each individual person. And it's a good thing to be able to progress in that journey. Because like I prayed before, God loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. Hence the reason the word of God teaches and guides us. And so hopefully that's what it does with us today. So James chapter 3, the first 12 verses I'm going to read to you. They will be up on the screen if you did not bring a Bible or don't have an electronic device with the Bible. They will be up on the screen for you. So here we are, James chapter 3, verse number 1 in the New Living Translation. The Bible says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. <laughs> James is tough man. He's a hardcore tough man. He just tells it like he sees it. He says, Not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. We got an issue with folks ever wanting to be judged. And James is telling you, I'm going to judge you even more strictly because you've decided to teach. Indeed, we will all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. That just shows how powerful the tongue is. If we can control the tongue, we could find ourselves perfect and in control of our lives in every other way. We, make, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. That's some serious, that's some harshness right there. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison, Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So, it's a 
Just let that rest on you for a second because that's some heaviness of God's word. So what I want to do really quickly is we get, before we get into the, into the meat of this, I want to break down a, a verse that I find to be very, very interesting and challenging in the word in today's message is verse number two. In James chapter three, verse number two, I'm going to reread it to you very quickly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. So this, let me, I'm like, I'm going to break this verse down just a little bit for you. As, as most of you who have heard me preach know, I, one of my, the passion of my life is to get, engage in God's word in such a way where I understand it, learn it, read it, pray it, speak it, study it in its original context and its original language so that I can f- try to fully understand what the author is trying to say. And so when it, verse number two, when he says the phrase, make many mistakes, we make many mistakes. The phrase is more literally translated into we continuously sin. And not just sin as we would understand it, but sin with our mouths. That's what he's saying in that context. Not that we just make mistakes. Because folks always want to say, oh, well, I make mistakes all the time. Or, or, you know, I'm just a work in progress. And usually it's very true. And then its truth becomes a crutch that we we kind of rely and rest on whenever we make a mistake. But actually, James is not necessarily referring to those mistakes as we would refer to them. He's saying the mistake and the sin that we make with our tongues, with our words, specifically in the use of our words. The second thing in that verse number two that I want to look at for just a moment is where he says, if we are able to, if we could control our tongue, now that right there and by itself is probably one of the most difficult things that there is to do. Because I don't know about you, but my personal, the way that I'm wired and the way that I respond is I'm more of an open mouth, insert foot kind of guy before I am ever the let me methodically think about how I'm going to say this kind of guy. Now I would rather be that guy, but that's not necessarily the way that I am in all of the context that I find myself. Sometimes, sometimes I'm able to think before I speak, but that's not a common thing for men to do. I'm just being real. It's not. It's not what we do. Some do, but most don't. But he says if you could control your tongue, and and he then uses imagery to show what he means by controlling the tongue. It means, and this is why James chose the very next, the imagery that he used when he talked about how we can make a large horse go wherever we want by the means of a bit in its mouth. That's actually what that means. When he says to control your tongue, it means as to lead like a bit in a horse's mouth. That's what it means. It's like you have full control of this portion of your body. It's the same as there are certain pressure points, and I won't illustrate this because I don't want to hurt anybody, but there are certain pressure points in the human body where you can literally make someone do whatever that you wanted them to do because the pain is so great, but the effort that it takes to deliver the pain is so very little. Like, for instance, there's a pressure point in your hand that's in between two, in between two nerves and two bones that if I were to grab there and I would press... You would do anything I asked you to do. I could, I could just with these two fingers, I could lead you down to your knees. I could pick you back up onto your feet. I can usher you anywhere I would want you to do, go. 
because that's the pressure point in your body. And when it was finished, you would hate me because it would hurt very badly and you would have a bruise that would last on your hand for weeks because that's, that's the nature of that particular pressure point. That's the kind of illustration James is using when he talks about the bit in the horse's mouth and that's actually what he's talking about when he talks about controlling your tongue. If we were able to control our tongue in that matter, imagine, imagine if you were able to control your tongue in that kind of capacity. You would have no issues in life because most of our issues in life come from this. Because it starts, you know, the, and the Bible's very clear, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, and then, so a man thinks, so he is, because when we come from what we think and what we feel, it all the time comes out of our mouth. And oftentimes, it probably should never come out of our mouth, but yet it still does. And we do it in the nature of, well, this is just my opinion, or I'm just saying has become very popular in today's society. You would say and rant whatever it is you would like and just say, well, I'm just saying. And I would have just a little piece of advice for you. Stop just saying. Because what you're just saying is hurting a lot of folks. But let's move on because we're going to get to that a little bit more down the road. In the second part of verse number two, he says that if we were able to control our tongue, that we would be perfect and can control ourselves. Now, there's a whole different personality. Like I told you, my personality is more open mouth, insert foot. That's why I relate to Peter in Scripture so very well. There's a whole other personality that, that this is referring to when in the person who thinks, you know what, I am perfect. Now, no person will suggest that they actually are perfect, but there are certain personality traits that you could find them thinking, you know, yeah, I'm pretty much always right. I, I, I never make a mistake. And even if I do make a mistake, it was probably your fault in some sort of way. That's a whole other personality type that is out there floating around. Matter of fact, there's a large number of those folks. The largest personality type is that, is that personality type, the perfectionist. But what he's meaning in this context, he's saying complete, fully mature, especially in Christ-like character. So just connect the two. If you were able to get a hold of your tongue, even a little bit, it's going to draw you even closer to being like Christ, which is what ultimately the goal of every believer is supposed to be, because the word Christian literally means like Christ. So that's our goal, that's our direction, that's our vision for life, but if we don't have even the little bit, slightest little bit of control of our tongue, we will ultimately never get to that place that James speaks of. And so James deals with the issue of the tongue and, and our reckless words in, in, this, in this chapter, in these 12 verses. And he gives us three analogies that can teach us three things. So this is where I have a, a note sheet for you. You can fill it out. This, the, there's going to be some blanks there for you to follow along. Hopefully keep you tracking with me, keep me tracking with the message, and keep us all moving in the same direction. And so the first analogy and the first thing that James says about the tongue and, 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 it's, and, how, it, and how it can teach us is that number one, it is small but powerful. It is small but powerful. Verse number three and four, the Bible says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. 
And that goes so much so for your tongue as well. In, in every situation, this little thing that is the tongue in your mouth can actually cause, you think of your life as this huge ship and this tongue is your rudder. This tongue can literally direct your ship wherever you want it to go. And here's the reality. Oftentimes we open our mouths and speak things that we have no business speaking nor have any real true desire to actually speak. But yet anybody ever get, and I don't know, I'm like, I, I'm an imagery kind of person, but anybody ever get to a place where they open their mouth and they begin to speak and it's almost like you can see the words coming out of your mouth but, and you're reaching for them to try to grab them before they ever get into someone's ear. And it's like a slow motion train wreck. And it's like, I can't stop this from happening because they've already left your mouth. I, that's how I view a lot of the things that I say. I'm like, oh, no. Can I take that back before it gets to their ears? I just want to wipe that away. You know, because that's the power of our tongue. And unfortunately, and fortunately at the same time, unfortunately, words that we speak negatively into someone's life, into someone's heart, speaking about certain people or situations, we feel like we're doing it, we're, we're, we're doing it in well intentions and well-meaning. But let me tell you something very quickly. Your intentions and your meanings plus $5 will get you a cup of Starbucks coffee. Meaning your intentions and your meaning really have nothing to do with what actually comes out. That's why when people say, well, I didn't intend to do that. I understand that that wasn't your intention, but yet you still did that. Well, I didn't mean to say it like that. I understand that you didn't mean to say it like that, but yet you still said it like that. And you, just because your intention and your meaning might not have been that, you can't change how someone has felt about what you've said. All you can then do is repent, apologize, humble yourselves, and say, please forgive me for hurting you. But even that language doesn't come out of our mouths. Usually the language that comes out of our mouth is, I'm sorry if you were offended. In which case, by my personal opinion, that's not really a sorry. That's I said what I said, and I'm sorry that it hurt, um, that it offended you, but I'm not sorry that I said it. And so this thing called a tongue is like a wild horse. Anybody been, I, I remember when I was younger, not that much younger, but when I was 18, 19, I had gone to visit my dad in El Paso, Texas. He was stationed there in the military. And I'd gone to visit him in El Paso, Texas. And he was moving from El Paso, Texas to Fort Hood, Texas. And I remember helping him to move and we were driving a U-Haul truck across from El Paso to Fort Hood. And it's very interesting about Texas. Texas is a gigantic state because it was like a 13-hour drive and we never left the state. I was like, this is insanity that you can drive this long and never leave the state. And so, but I remember driving from West Texas into Central Texas and seeing up on this ridge that was up there all these wild horses just running. And it was such a cool sight. And I was like, man, look at them. And, and you would drive along and, and they would run along with your car until they got tired, of, until they decided they were stopped, done running and then they'd stop and trot their way back. And they would do that with cars that would pass. And I remember thinking, wow, look at the wildness and the freedom that they have. That's the same wildness that is in your tongue naturally. Because it's naturally 
a sinful thing. Just like the Bible says, you know, nobody knows how deceitful and wicked that the heart really is. And then James says, your tongue, and we're going to get to this before, I don't want to preach this far, too far, but your tongue can set, set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Your tongue has such a powerful ability that it is already set on fire by hell. That's pretty harsh. But it's because it comes out of the heart, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if my heart is deceitful and wicked, guess what else is going to be? My tongue, my speech. So one of the things we have to comprehend and understand about our tongue is that while it is so small, it is so epically powerful. Number two, the tongue is also rude and consuming. It's rude and consuming. Let's look at verse number five and verse number six. The Bible says, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your bo- entire body. It has set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. There's the phrase that James used. You know, when the Bible says it makes grand speech, speeches, it's, inter- it's translated as speaking with power and with eloquence and, and this complete capability. And so while your tongue has this ability to speak with power and to speak with eloquence, on the flip side, it has the same ability to set everything around you on fire. And all that matters between the two, literally, can simply just be the mood that you are in. The mood that you are in. You know, my, this is horrible, but this is, I'm just being real and transparent. In my house, from time to time, I can be a little bit moody. If I'm tired, I'm a little bit moody. If I'm stressed out, I might be a little bit moody. And my kids will gauge what kind of mood is dad in today. Now, that, that's a horrible thing, but I'm just being real. And if you're not, your house isn't like that, you're all a bunch of liars anyway. But the reality is, the reality is my kids will come and gauge what kind of mood is that in. And they'll know because of what comes out of my mouth. And not so much what, but even how it comes out of my mouth. And so they, they're looking at that and they're seeing that and they're feeling that. And am I rude with how I speak? Now, let's handle that for just a minute because that's been a struggle of my life for a long time is the rudeness of how I speak. I remember I, I grew up in the Northeast. I spent most, I will consider most of my growing up years in New York City and Baltimore, Maryland, two major cities in the Northeast of the United States. And if you've ever been to New York and encountered genuine New Yorkers, rude is like one of the first words that will come to your mind. It's just the, it's just the way it is. And so I moved from that environment all the way down to South Texas, Laredo, right on the border of Mexico, where Southern hospitality was like an overload. I remember thinking, my gosh, there's too many people that want to talk to me. I don't even want to, I don't even want to talk to them. And, and one of the comments that was pretty prevalent in the early parts of my ministry in Laredo, Texas, was like, they'd go to my pastor and say, Pastor, Mike is just rude. And they're like, what do you mean? And he would tell a story. He's like, he's just rude. And I'm like, oh. So then my pastor would call me and say, 
okay, let's talk about your rudeness. And I was like, listen, I don't even know what they're talking about. I wasn't rude. And so I had this conversation to say, you know what? So 30 years of my life, I was one way having conversations in one type of way that everyone I was around, it was like, yeah, it's conversation. And then I just changed my location geographically, and now I am this rude person, and my words have this consuming power of just letting everyone around me know, hey, you are one rude individual. And so it took, so I told my pastor, I said, please have grace, because 30 years of my life in communication cannot be undone in 30 days. It's going to take some time. And the reality is, I'm still working on it 10 years later. Because that's the power of the tongue. It's rude and consuming. Has the ability to say these most eloquent and beautiful grand things and then set the whole world on fire in the next moment. And of all the parts of the body, that only one, this is what the Bible says, of all the parts of the body, only one is capable of defiling the entire body. And that's the tongue. All the parts of the body, there's only one that has the ability to destroy the entire body, and it is your tongue. It could be in the way of just abrupt, quick, rude statements, and oftentimes we think those abrupt, rude statements are forgotten, but what they've done is they've pierced someone to their soul and hurt them in such a way that they begin to build walls around themselves to say, I'm not going to let anybody hurt me anymore. That's all because of the power of what you have spoken. The same thing can go for you in a positive fashion. You know, if you're going through a situation, you're going through a difficulty in life, if you begin to say, oh, oh, woe is me, or how tough and how hard the situation you're going through is, you know what? It's always going to be tough. It's always going to be hard, and you're always going to stay in this woe is me, downtrodden, sad, depressed state. That's just the, that's the nature of the power of your, of your tongue. But in the middle of that, if you can begin to speak life and you can begin to speak the word of God and the power of God over your situation and what you're struggling with, guess what? You will start to rise up and feel victorious in the middle of that situation. And the choice really is up to you and what you want to do. And you may say, oh, well, I don't want to be like this, but you choose to be like that. And I'm not suggesting that the choice is easy, and I'm not suggesting that what you're going through is not difficult. I mean, when you lose a loved one, it is overwhelming and difficult. When you are struggling financially, it is overwhelming and difficult. When you're struggling in all these ways, it can be overwhelming and very difficult. But in how you speak to that situation can either bring life, or it can just keep you in the gutter. And it's just how you, it's, how, it's what you decide to do in that moment. I've been on both sides. I've been in a rough situation. I've spoke things not so well into, my, into that situation. I've been on a, in those rough, same rough situations and spoke life. And I can see the difference between the two. Because your tongue has the power to consume whatever's around you. Just like fire. That's why it uses fire as, a, uh, as, a, as imagery. The third thing that we can find at James's analogies in the first 12 verses of chapter 3 is in verse 7 and verse 8. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil and full of deadly poison. The word tame means literally 
to subdue and make it obedient. That's why he says no one can do it. You can't subdue your tongue in such a way that it's always obedient to God's word. I mean, we want it to be that way. That's like the epitome of how it would work. And it's like, oh, yes, this is what I aspire to. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you aren't careful, you might aspire to be like this, but then use to say, well, it's always going to be like this, so I, there's no chance of it getting any better. And then you have, again, spoken death into your situation when you simply just aspire to be like that. You aspire to get control of your tongue because the third one is your tongue is both petty and poisonous. It's petty and poisonous. Things that people say, the pettiness of the things that people say with their tongue could be as simple as you see somebody walking down the street wearing something that you would not wear and, or that you don't think that they should wear because after all, your opinion matters to the world. And I said that with as much disdain as possible, so hopefully you received it that way. But our opinion matters so much that we have an opinion on what people should wear and shouldn't wear. And when we see someone wearing something we don't think they should wear, we say, can you believe what she is wearing? And I say she because honestly, if we're just being real, as, open, as much as men are open foot, open mouth, and insert that foot, women are always looking at what folks are wearing. Let's just be real and keep it real and be honest. It's fact. It's what they do. I'm not... I'm not telling any, any lies. I'm just being real because I see it and hear it all the time. But it's both petty and poisonous. And what we don't realize is in our pettiness of communication, we are poisoning any potential relationship. That's what we do. I am in relationship with so many people today that I never, ever would have been in my life because I would have looked at them and suggested that, eh, they're not my kind of person. I don't really like this about them, or I don't really like that about them, or I don't like how they do this or how they do that. And let me tell you something. If the world was surrounded with people a lot like me, it would be one messed up world, more messed up than it actually is. And if my life was surrounded with people nothing like, but like me, I would find a hole to crawl in and stay there forever because I don't even want to be surrounded with a bunch of people just like me because that's not a good thing. We, 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 celebrate the uniqueness of individuals and what they think and how they think and what they say and and we just have to as believers in the body of Christ be careful with what we say especially to one another because while the tongue can be both petty and poisonous it says in verse number nine sometimes it praises our Lord and Father and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God and so here's the reality. If you have spoken negatively about another person in this earth, you have actually spoken death and negativity into the creation of God. That's what you've done. The Bible says that God created man in his image. And so if you've got an issue with the image of a person, you've got an issue with the image of God. That's why... The value of thinking before you speak is so, so unbelievably important because when we speak, we speak directly into the image of God. We do that to others and we do it to ourselves. I remember for the longest time saying, I have no business 
standing up in front of people and preaching the gospel or declaring the word of God because I'm a mess myself. I got issues on top of issues and my issues all got issues and I should not be doing this. I'm not valuable enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not, and I could go on and on and on. And all I was doing was basically saying, God, you did a pretty poor job in creating me. Because, you know, I was made in your image, and if this is your image, you're not a very good God. That's what I say. That's what I speak. Now, you don't need to be walking around with your chest puffed up like, yes, I am the God's gift to the earth. I can do anything. I have to just speak, and it's done. No, you're not God. Let's not take it to that level. But there's a humility and confidence that we find in who we are in Christ. We find it with humility. We walk with humility, but we understand, hey, I am a child of God. I was created with a purpose and for a purpose and on purpose. I was no accident. And I don't even care if you, if you as a child were not planned by your parents or if your children that you have were not planned by you. All that meant is they became accidental parents because there are no accidental children. That's the way I believe it. And it might be, oh, you're just splitting hairs. Yes, I might be because there's so much power in the language that you use. You have to realize that you're no accident. We used to, when I tell the story of my, uh, my youngest daughter, Leah, Alicia and I used to say things like, and whoops, Alicia came, um, Leah came along. Maya was planned when we had, wanted her and we had her. Michael was planned when we wanted her and had her. And then, oh, here comes Leah. And that's pretty much indicative of her personality anyway. So that's the way we used to think. But now I say, you know, Maya was planned when we wanted and God honored our plan. And Michael was planned when we wanted and and God honored our plan. And then we became accidental parents at the time we did. But God had a plan for her to come when she did. And so now God's using her to fulfill her purpose. I never look at her and say, oh, you were an accident. Because let me tell you something, telling my child at five years old that she was an accident is going to cause her to grow up and be 11 years old and say she's got no value. There's so much power in what you speak. You speak petty and you speak poison into folks' lives. And you're basically saying, God, your creation, not so good. And when we think of this word to tame, we think of this word to tame, it means that I've got to get control. And so I'm going to give you a few practical steps inside the word there for a couple of minutes here as we continue on in this message. Hopefully, it's doing something for your heart and your life, and hopefully it's convicting you of maybe the words that you speak, because that's what it did to me, and I don't want to be convicted alone. So with all these messages, we're using the idea of a blueprint Because a blueprint tells you how to build what you're building. So God has this design for faith that you can find through the entire book of James. And then each passage of scripture, each message that we preach, we're trying to bring this blueprint plan for whatever that design is that week. And this week, the blueprint plan is for your tongue. So the first thought I want to give you, the whole idea of taming your tongue. I literally put this on the screen. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. (laughs) Ha ha. Good luck with that. Let's just get that in the open right now. Good luck taming your tongue. You are going to have some great successes and some epic failures when it comes to taming your tongue. Trust me, I 
have success and failure every day when it comes to what I say and how I say it. So let's just get that out of the way. However, with that being said, there are things that you can do practically that can really help how you deliver what you say and when you deliver what you say because timing is also pretty important. So let's look at the whole idea, verses 9 through 12. The Bible says, sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and curses, cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. So basically, if you are the one who comes to church on Sunday morning and you lift up your hands and you're celebrating the glory and the presence of God and then on Monday you're over here at work and you're at the water cooler and you're saying, you know, let me tell you something. This is what I heard. And you begin to speak. There's about a 99.99% chance you're speaking something that is, number one, not of your business and number two is gossip. And I will say this, I'm work, God's working on my heart because my response to gossip has never been a favorable one. I, I was the kind of person, like, and I've done this, so uh, again, I'm just going to be real and let you know that this, this whole thing with your tongue is going to be a challenge. I've done this literally in the church on a Sunday morning, walking by some folks and hear, oh, you know, I heard this, I heard so-and-so said, da, 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 and I'd stop and I would come back and I'd say, you know what, both y'all need to zip your mouths because all you're doing is running it, causing trouble and gossiping. I said, you know what, you, you, I, I acted like this, I'm going to take you to the principal's office. Come, you come with me right now. Let's go talk to the pastor. I want you to go and tell the pastor what you guys are gossiping about. I did that. Literally did that. Not like, oh, I wanted to do that. No, I actually did that. And actually said it like that. My approach was not really good. That was damaging approach and the words that came out of my mouth caused more harm than they did good. So God's working on my heart in that capacity. But the reality is, when you gossip about someone, when you speak, see, this is, let me just, this is a little side tangent for a second. The word, the, the phrase gossip in all of its context in scripture literally means to speak about another. That's all it means. We qualify it with what we believe gossip to be. Well, if it's true and it really happened and I speak about it, then it's not gossip. Just let me tell you that thought process, wrong. Whether it's true or not, you speak about it, it's gossip. Because it's not, I look at it like, you're not their mother, you're not their accountability partner, you're not their mentor, and if you are, it's even a bigger problem, so we won't go there. But if you're speaking of anyone, then you're gossiping about them. Whether it's true or not is, makes no difference. Because here's the reality. How many of you would like there to be a little water cooler conversation about you? Nobody, of course. So we have this mouth that has this ability to bring blessing and cursing at the same time, and it is not right. And then he goes on to describe, does a spring of water produce, bubble out with both fresh and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. What's interesting about this is James was one of these folks that heard Jesus preach. And when he spoke to the woman at the well, and we know that some of us, we most, most of us know that story. And if we don't, this is a woman that, J, that Jesus met at the well who was in an adulterous relationship and married several times, living with a guy who's not her husband. And she was at the well to draw water. 
And Jesus walks up to her and says, woman, give me a drink. And there's a whole contextual issue with why he never should have even said that, but he did. And then she said, I can't get you a drink. There's nothing I have. And he says, you know, he's offering her this, this water that he refers to as this living water. That anybody who drinks of this water shall never thirst again. And he's talking about the same, the same language he uses for the fresh water that he speaks of in the woman at the well is the same language that James uses in the word fresh, meaning not fresh as in, oh, that was crisp and oh, no. It was living. It was a living water. And so he said you can't draw living water from a salty spring. And so let me just give it to you like this. When it's inside of us and it's all this angst and anxiety and stress about who someone else is or who this person is or what this person did, you have no ability within yourself to bring life to anyone else if that's what you have in you. And you have that in you because you speak it about yourself. So if you really want to be the person that brings life to someone else, then start working on how to gain control of your tongue. And so here's how we do it. Number one, guard your heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, so we have to guard our heart. Matthew said it like this. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 through 35. He said, you brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. It's the idea of garbage in, garbage out. You cannot possibly have this hard, dark, hurting, broken heart and speak life out of your mouth. And if you do, it has no value. Because it's not in your heart. It's just what you're saying. And in oftentimes what we're saying, what's actually in our heart can be heard in what we say anyway. Regardless of what we're saying, the words that we're using. So you can't expect to put garbage in your life and then to speak life out of it. And this is so important in everything that we do. So much so that even in the things that we watch, the things that we listen to, the people that we engage in, the lifestyle we live will ultimately come radiating out of our mouths. That's how it works. You can't possibly think about all these things and do all these things, these worldly things, and then speak gospel truth out of your mouth. It's not how that works. A good person produces good things out of the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things out of a treasury of an evil heart. Proverbs, so with each one of these, these practical how-tos and this blueprint that I'm planning, I'm giving you, I'm going to give you wisdom from Proverbs to go along with it. So number one, you guard your heart. Proverbs 20:19 says, a gossip goes around telling secrets, so don't hang around with chatterers. I like that phrase. A gossip goes around telling secrets, so don't hang around with chatterers. Now, there's a difference in someone like me who never stops talking and a chatterer who never stops talking about someone else. So don't get it twisted. Your pastor likes to talk. It's who I am. It's the way I am. It's the way I'm wired. Some of you don't stop talking out there either. And we usually have some good conversations that way. But, um, but the wisdom is all about who you are spending your time with 
and what you are hearing from them. Because here's the reality. If you're spending time with folks that are speaking things into your ear that you don't need to hear, it's going to come out of your mouth. It's just a matter of time. So number one, guard your heart. Number two, control your tongue. Now, this is a double-edged sword because James said it was not tameable, but it is controllable. You may not tame it because it has this ability with frustration to wild out some crazy stuff, but you can control it. Psalm 141 verses 3 and 4 says, Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. Don't let me drift towards evil or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. Again, it's talking about how you, who you associate with and how you hang out with, who you hang out with. But what did he say? Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. You want to know how to control your lips? Ask God to be the one that does it for you. Because the tongue itself cannot be tamed. The only way to get control of what's coming out of it is, God, please control this. Please help me in this area. Don't let me drift towards evil, the psalmist says. Colossians even says to rid yourself of filthy language. So if you're one of those believers, I love this. This is all brand, this is new in, in, in social media and it, 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 some, it drives me nuts, to be, if I'm just going to be honest with you. If, so if you're a believer who says, I love Jesus, but I cuss. Stop. Because Colossians, Paul is very clear in the book of Colossians, says, Remove all filthy language from your rhetoric. All filthy language. I mean, people are wearing shirts today that say, I love Jesus, but I cuss. I'm like, come on. That, that, there's, there's no testimony in that. There's no witness in that. You know, the Bible's very clear when it says in, in the book, in, 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 um, in Matthew, in the Great Commission, he says, go into all the world preaching the gospel. He says, go into, and Mark, his references, going into and being, being my witness in Matthew's be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. My, that word witness means I'm a martyr. I'm willing to die for the cause of Christ. That, that, that should be the condition of our heart and our life, not the condition that says, oh, I love Jesus, but I cuss. It's just not, I'm, I'm just sorry. That's, maybe that's my opinion. Biblically, I can't even justify that thought process, but the reality is stop and think before you speak. How does that translate? Parents? Don't discipline your children when you're angry. Man, nothing worse than disciplining your child when you're angry. Trust me. I have disciplined my children when I was angry many, many times. And many, many times I did damage and not good. Couples, be careful what you say in anger. Man, my wife and I are just like anybody else. You know, don't, please don't get this image of a pastor's marriage. And think that, oh my gosh, they must have this perfect marriage. They're so cute and blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you, any kind of cuteness can be captured in a moment of a picture. You see a picture of me and my wife on Facebook and it's like, oh, look at them. They're so loving. And, and, and I love my wife with all my heart, with all my, with everything that I am. And we've been married over 17 years. But let me tell you something. From time to time, yeah, we, uh, we, yeah. Let's just leave it at that, that you can use your imagination. If you can imagine it, I promise it's happened in the context of my home. And both of us are learning this thing right here. Be careful what you say in anger. And so with her and I, I have been 
it's more me than it is her when it comes to speaking things angrily. I, I, I hear something that I don't like, and I'm just like, <laughs> face is getting all blood red, and I just, <laughs> and that's controlling your tongue. It sounds foolish, but that's what I have to do. Because I'm like, my wife just made me angry, but I don't want to tell her that I'm, so I just breathe, relax. My, wife, my daughter can be testimony to this. We, none of that stuff's hidden in my house. My kids see it all. In all of its glory and all of its negativity, they see it all. And so they're seeing now more healthy versions of their parents than they saw maybe in the first few years of their lives. Because the reality is we have to be careful with what we say, especially in anger. Because that's how we control our tongue. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Yes, I added that emphasis on it. That's not how it was written. That was me. It's my creative license, liberty, whatever. But that's not, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Number three, I like this one. Decorate your speech. That sounds ridiculous, right? Decorate my speech. I'm talking about garnish what you say. You go to a restaurant, a good restaurant, you get this plate of food, and it's got this pretty little garnish and decoration on it that makes the food look more appealing. Do that with what you say. So you're you're probably thinking, Pastor, you really want me to decorate what I have to say? Pretty it up? Yes. Pretty it up. So the, the only question you'd have to ask after that is, is it biblical? And for the answer to that question, I will say yes. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 and 30. Don't use foul or abusive language. There we go. Don't be saying, gee, I love Jesus, then I cuss. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So let everything you say be good and encouraging. Be good and helpful. Why? Because your goal is to bring encouragement. Verse number 30, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Uh Uh-oh. Is he really connecting the way we live to what we say? Man. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So there is an actual connection to what you say, what you live, and if it results in salvation or not. Uh Uh-oh. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just, yeah, no. You're, 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 talking, you're talking foolishness now, Pastor. There is an absolute connection to what you say, how you live, and the ending result of salvation. Because what we say, now listen, I'm not one of these folks that questions folks' salvation. That's between you and God. But I will say this. The things you say, how you live, how you treat people, what you post, how you rant, those types of things, they speak very, very clearly, not just of your control of your mouth, but even the salvation of your heart. Because if you look just like everyone else in this world, it could be, just saying could be, don't, don't shoot the messenger, don't kill me on this one, it could be that there really salvation hasn't reached your heart. Bible just says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're conforming to the pattern of this world, that means your mind's never been transformed. Your heart's never been transformed. Salvation is a heart transplant. 
Out with the old, in with the new. The journey will take a while to, for the new to catch up to. All this stuff has to catch up to what God's already done in here. But along that journey, there should definitely be some fruit. It shouldn't be. Let me tell you, I was in Israel a couple of years ago, and, and they say that there was, this, there was this area in Israel that they said, this is where when Jesus walked by, he cursed the fig tree to say it would never bear fruit again. And they say this is the area geographically that it took place. And in geographically, it's the only area in all of Israel that will grow nothing. The, the world's leading agriculturalists have gone in and have tilled the ground and have put in chemicals and seeds and all kinds of other things to try to get that land to grow something, and it has never grown anything. No one has ever been able, and you can literally see it. And we were on a bus and we were going by it slowly. You can literally see it's a... It's a, it's a few acreage of land that is absolutely dead. And all around it, olive trees are growing and grapevines. All, all this stuff around it are all growing, but in this area, nothing's growing. Because there was no fruit being produced, so Jesus cursed it with the power of his mouth. You have the same ability with what you say. So you have to decide that you are only going to speak what is good what is helpful to build people up, even with bad news. Even when it's bad news, you have to speak in such a way that it's helpful in building people up. Now, here is the million-dollar question that's going to rattle. Actually, I got four of them. That's going to rattle all of you. Does this process that you're talking about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 and 30, does that include my president? Yes. Yes, it does. I'm sorry. It's not about support. It's about the image of God, the creation of the image of God. This isn't we are not a political church and we don't go on political rants because of the diversity of our church. We welcome and, and, and everyone is unique and we celebrate the uniqueness even down to the political affiliation. But the reality is just because your man didn't win or your woman didn't win or your person, you don't like the person and you think they have no whatever you want to say. The speech that you use should be helpful, encouraging, and building up. This was never limited to people who you like, people who you get along with, people who you agree with. See, society has suggested that if I disagree, I don't like. If I disagree, I hate. If I disagree, I judge. But the reality is that's their, their mind interpreting what they hear the way they want to hear it. So that does include your president. It does include your boss. Oh. It includes your spouse. I'm just going too far now, I know. I'm going way too far. And it does include your pastor. It does include your pastor. I'm going to close with this verse. John, if you got, if you come in. I'm going to close with this last verse. This wisdom point. The final wisdom point of this message Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 15, 4. Gentle words are the tree of life. 